So most of you, as well as myself, I think we, we, uh, we admire uh, grit, we admire determination. The truth is we probably all could use a little more of it. Uh, that's a fair statement. I mean, some of us, we actually have a pattern maybe in our lives of quitting. We maybe have uh, left behind uh, different things that are, that are not finished. They didn't finish. We didn't finish them. We didn't follow through. It got hard and we stopped. Um, some of us face things, and, that's that, and, and we could just talk about the power of perseverance and the power of, of learning how to prevail when things are hard, and we'll explore in, that in and out in the coming weeks as well. But, you know, I think a lot of you, not all of you, I know, but a lot of you, if, you've been, if you were here last year, you would be aware of my fondness for the Rocky films, right? And you may remember that. And um, some of you recall at the beginning of last year, last year, uh, I was talking to my son, my youngest son, Jacob, who's in his 20s. I was talking to him about a movie that came out, again, about a year and a half ago. The movie was called Creed. And Creed was like the latest installment of the Rocky series. Great, actually, it's a great, I really enjoyed that film. And, and found it very inspiring and would highly recommend it if you uh, want to get motivated. But one of the things about this, and I, I actually did think it was probably the best of the group, and people have different opinions, but I think it was the best of the group over the span of all the Rocky films. The reason I bring it up is Rocky One came out in 1976, it debuted, and I was talking to my son about it, and, we were, and I said, you know, Jake, you realize that, I mean, there's a 40 year span in these films. Right? You watch Sylvester Stallone, over a 40-year arc, right? Not only as the Rocky character, but you watch him. And then that, I think that's what made Creed kind of special is because he's looking backwards in, 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 and you're looking through the lens of his character, but it's him too. It's interesting, dynamic. And we were talking about it. I said, you know, I actually saw, I told him I saw the original one when it came out. <laughs> 19, I said, I remember when it debuted in 1976. Uh, I said, I, 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 and, and you know what I told him? I said, it ended up being not only the highest grossing film, I bet you didn't know this, I told him, I said, the highest grossing film of the year, but also won the best picture, which was really rare for a film, a uh, sport film kind of thing. And I said, but you know what? It was more than a boxing film, I told him. I said, it actually started a kind of new genre of filmmaking. At least it made it more popular. So we call it, what was kind of the genre of the training films, right? Where someone um, by sheer force of, you know, will begins to train themselves to accomplish a purpose. You know, usually someone in, who's a, an underdog or a humiliated novice or a victim determines they're going to settle the score, overcome the odds through meticulous, relentless training, usually accompanied by music, actually, until, <laughs> until the climax and the showdown and the big match or the fight, like it was with Rocky, where the achiever either vanquishes the imposing champ or foe, or villain, or as in Rocky Garner's The Grudging Respect, all through training and dogged determination. And I, again, I, I remember, I can still remember the, the first time I saw the film, I was, again, I was just a kid, I was, I was looking at it through a different lens. I had never seen anything like it. I mean, you know, he gets humiliated. Remember how he gets humiliated and he determines he's gonna start training. And he totally commits himself to training. He starts to tap into his potential. He gets up early, he starts rising up early, and he, and I don't know if you remember this, but in the film, he starts drinking 
raw eggs in the morning. There he is, drinking those eggs. That was before they knew you could get salmonella, you know, if you did that, but <laughs> hey. And, and, there, and there was that like famous training scene where he's running through the streets of Philly, then he's doing these like one-arm push-ups and <laughs> using frozen slabs of meat as a punching bag. And, uh, and finally, the steps that Rocky runs up, the Philadelphia Art Museum, all of that crescendoing music, dun, 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 and right at the end, he's like, right in it's great, I was inspired, right? And you know what, there's a reminder that, you know, if we train, if we have the right attitude, if we determine, if we're resilient, if we refuse to quit, I mean, those are the keys to breakthrough. Those are the keys to victory. Those are, give it your best, keep moving, keep, keep trying, keep running up those steps. If you don't succeed, keep at it. You know, be, be a person who perseveres, push yourself, train, stay focused, get, get determined, right? Those are all good things, except when we get to places where no matter how hard we try, we can't make it happen. I believe in determination, I really do. But what happens when giving it our best, our best shot, isn't good enough? We've all faced things, situations, that we can't solve, we can't change them, right? Most of us at some point in our life are going to come into confrontation or face-to-face with some immovable limitation. And no matter how hard I train and face it, I can't get past. It's like, it's there. Some, you know, our, look, we live long enough, our bodies are going to give out. That's fact. It can't last. Not made to last forever in this life. They're going to, the, way, the way we are right now in broken humanity even with the promise of what is yet to be secured in Christ. The fact is that if we live long enough, our bodies start to break down. The tent can't contain the spirit within it. We long for that. We imagine for that. Jesus said it's coming, but not with this tent. Some of us, that's a hard thing, right? We can't stop it. We try as much as we can. Sometimes we come face-to-face with health-related issues and we're doing our best, but it's real. It's a real issue. We have to look at it. Sometimes there are times where our strength and force of character, no matter how you know, strong we may be, and, and it just isn't enough for the unique thing that we're walking in, and, and sometimes it's almost like we just don't have what it takes to fully break through from a habit that we honestly just feel like it's just sticking with us and we can't get free of it and we try so hard and we're working so hard and it's just like hanging on there are times when no matter how hard we try for example we realize to our deep dismay or disappointment that um, whatever it is that we're trying to pursue is not going to happen right that happens and i know the i've listened i've heard the motivation most i get it i understand it i've watched rocky a number of times i'm telling you but the fact of the matter is, there are some situations, so that, for example, there might be some of us who, no matter how hard we work, no matter how savvy we are, we're not going to be able to make that business work. There might be some of us, no matter how much we love them, we can't change them. What do we do? You know, I was thinking about the, the story some of us may have heard before, the proverbial story of the battleship 
It's like that 18th century battle warship on exercise at sea in bad weather. The captain on the bridge, it's foggy just after dark. In those days, they didn't have radar, so the lookouts are out there. And this lookout spots a light on the starboard side. That's the right-hand side when the ship's facing forward. The captain asked, is, is it steady? Is that light steady or is it moving? The lookout replied, it's steady, meaning they were on a direct collision course with the other ship. The captain ordered the lookout, well, then you need to signal the other ship. Tell that ship, change course 20 degrees because we're on a collision course. Then the signal comes back from the other ship. Advisable for you to change course 20 degrees. The captain signaled, I am a captain. Change course 20 degrees. The signal came back. I am a seaman, second class. You had better change course 20 degrees. The captain's furious. He sends back, I am a battleship. Change course. Back comes the signal. I am a lighthouse on the land. Your call. <laughs> Listen. There are some things we must accept and work around. And if we force it, we are going to find that we're just not strong enough. We're not smart enough. We're, we're not good enough. If we, and if we keep at it too, in the, this way, we're just going to destroy ourselves. We can say, I'm a battleship. Yeah, but you know what? I'm a lighthouse. I'm a, I mean, you got it. There are some things we look at it. Look, do you understand what I'm, what I'm saying? We must adapt to reality. And then listen, let the Lord help us find another way. There are some situations where the Lord wants to show us another way. And it's not about us trying harder, being more determined, doing more of what we're doing, not giving up. There are values and virtues in that. But there are some situations where that is, it just can't happen that way. And we're going to, have to face that limitation. And then what do we do about that? What do we do when we fail? What do we do when we come into face-to-face -face with limitations that no amount of effort on our part, no matter how strong we have been or think we are, is going to change that situation? We have to deal with it in a different way. How do we deal with that? What does the Lord have to say to us? You know, it got me thinking. I was thinking about Moses. Moses is uh, one of the, I mean, I know not everybody knows the story of Moses, but he's one of the most well-known uh, well figures in all the scriptures, certainly in the Older Testament, he stands out. He's a deliverer of Israel, a type of Christ in a way. And again, some of us may have grown up in children's church, Sunday school. We learned about Moses and the Bible stories. Others of us have you know, become acquainted with reading the Bible and we know about Moses. But some of us may not. Some of us may be very new and somewhat unacquainted. Well, Moses is an amazing figure in the Bible because he was someone who, as a, as a younger man or as a man in his, nearing his prime, uh, took a risk, and he failed miserably. Some of you recall that he was not born uh, an Egyptian uh, prince. He was actually, uh, through a unique turn of events that clearly were divinely orchestrated, uh, he was adopted by the princess of, of Egypt, the daughter of Pharaoh. He was adopted by her, found as an infant, raised as a prince in Egypt, while his people, the Hebrew people, were enslaved. They had not always been enslaved in Egypt. They had prospered in Egypt. But over time, they eventually became enslaved by a pharaoh who did not know or care about the ancestor Joseph, who was the son of Jacob, the son of Isaac, and the son of Abraham. There was, 
this sense that these people were uh, oppressed while Moses himself was given an opportunity to live at the highest level of Egyptian culture and power and prestige. And yet he, he had to grapple with the fact that while he was so blessed to live life this way, his people were so oppressed. And it created a deep kind of dissonance inside of him. If you read Hebrews 11, it's his struggle is described as he wrestles with his sense of what God is calling him to do. He feels at an early age that he's been put in this position as a, as a, for a reason and that he comes to understand that he has to act courageously. He does what he thinks is the right thing. And it's described here, as we'll see, but what, and I put this in your hand, it's described in Exodus 2. It ends up being a disaster for him. He thinks he, he, he has the right idea, but he exercises it in the wrong way. Look what it says here in verse 11. It says, one day when Moses had grown up, he went out to his people and he looked on their burdens and he saw an Egyptian who was beating a Hebrew. That was one of his people. And he looked this way and he looked that way and seeing no one, he struck down the Egyptian and he hit him in the sand. And when he went out the next day, there were two Hebrews who were struggling, who were fighting with each other. And so you see this going on, and evidently it was getting physical. And he said to the man in the wrong, who was clearly the agitator, why, are you, why do you strike your companion? And the man answered, who made you a prince and a judge over us? Do you mean to kill me as you killed that Egyptian? And then Moses was afraid. And he thought, surely the thing is known. I thought, I had, I thought it had been covered. When Moses heard of it, when Pharaoh heard of it, he sought to kill Moses. But Moses fled from Pharaoh, and he stayed in the land of Midian, which is the desert, the wilderness. And he sat down. So he runs for his life, and he ends up in the desert, in the wilderness, in the land of Midian. And, he's, and, we're, and we're told, and he sits by a well. Now, what unfolds out of that is essentially a completely new chapter of Moses' life. I mean, he, as you begin to watch what happens... He ends up becoming a shepherd. He fully transitions. Um, he's, he ends up working for a very good man named Jethro, who has a daughter named Zephora. He falls in love with her. He marries her. Um, he has two sons, Gershom, Eliezer. For 40, listen, 40 years, he's a shepherd. And that is a very unique kind of uh, kind. If it was 40 years before, like, God rings the, the phone for him and says, hey, you know what? I want to talk to you through a burning bush. Um, but having said that, I go back to the fact that there's this gap between when God speaks to him and during this time where it's like a totally foreign life than anything he's known. You've got to remember, for Moses, he had grown up it's hard for us to maybe connect to this completely, but he had grown up with all these advantages. I mean, he was highly trained, highly exposed to the most advanced learning of his day. He negotiated deals with ambassadors of, of powers that would have, Egypt was like a preeminent power of that day, a well of learning and knowledge. Look at some of the things they built. They're still there. They're, they testify to the past glories of engineering, the pyramids do. I mean, there, there was a sophistication, even at a medical level. Moses was groomed in the courts of Pharaoh. 
He understood things. He was exposed to things. His upbringing was urbane, sophisticated, cosmopolitan. He knew how to do. He had he had been trained at a, in a number of levels. Communication. You know, his knowledge was vast. His skill set strong. His his understanding of power. You know, was impressive. He understood how to use it. That was his life. That was the circle he ran with. That was what he had been exposed to. And now you couldn't have imagined almost. Um, you know, it, the, the intensity of the population base in Egypt, compare that to where he was. He couldn't go back. He tried to rescue. He tried to respond to what he thought God wanted him to do, only to find his people utterly rejecting him. And he runs from his life, exiled, a total disaster. He meets with huge limitations, and then he loses everything. And I wonder if there were not times when he was, <laughs> you know, 40 years is a long time. You're a shepherd in the desert. You're there a lot of times just by yourself. Desert's a beautiful place, especially at dawn and dusk. I mean, it has hues, pastels, colors that we don't normally see. But it's one of those places because of its barren beauty where you, it's, you're so easily invited into long thought thinking, where it would not have been hard to imagine Moses at different times in his life falling back into a place where he remembered where he had spent the first part of the first 40 years of his life and rehearsing in his mind how and why everything went wrong. What had happened? Does it even matter? Should he even be thinking about it? It's so far part of another. That was another man. Doesn't even, didn't even, doesn't even exist anymore, right? That, that you can imagine that moment happening with Moses where he's just, you know, drifting back, wondering with regrets. Maybe some of us might find ourselves in certain alone times rehearsing things in our lives that we go, man, I wish I, I, wish I would have done that differently. In Moses' case, he has this, I mean, maybe I, I imagine in my mind's eye him seeing this rock early on, this monolith, this rock monolith. And then as the years go by, because of the desert, slowly over time, sand starts to cover it until by the time it's now 40 years later, that same piece of rock that used to be a rock that he could so easily identify is now simply a covered hill of sand. A metaphor, if you will, of his life for what was is no longer there. And that's how he assumed it would be and how he assumed it would end. He was not prepared for what happened next because there was a day. Not all days are the same. I think we understand that. Look what it says here happened. And this is the other, hand, the other um, uh, portion of scripture in your hand out there, that other column in, in Exodus 3. And we're going to talk more in depth about what happens after this next week. But what I want to do is look right here and say that one day, and look at the broad strokes, that's all the Bible's giving us, of this very unique event that is clearly supernatural. One day Moses was tending the flock of his father-in-law Jethro. Jethro the priest, the priest of Midian. And he had led the flock far into the wilderness and he came to Sinai, the mountain of God. And there the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a blazing fire from the middle of a bush. So God's presence is there and it's a consuming fire. Moses is from a distance looking at it. He's staring in amazement. He, he's looking at this bush because the bush is on fire, but it's not engulfed in flames. It, in other words, it didn't burn up. So the thing's on fire, but it's not getting consumed, and he can't figure it out. He's never seen anything like it. It's a unique thing. This is amazing. Am I having a mirage? Is this real? Moses says to himself, why isn't that bush burning up? I must go see it. And he gets closer. As he approaches it, it says in verse 4 that when the Lord saw, using our language, when the Lord saw Moses coming to take a closer look, God called to him from the middle of the bush, Moses, Moses. And then Moses replied, yes, here I am. It is me. And so when God comes to Moses after an astonishing 40-year interval, he, Moses is a much, much different man. And yet, in every way, 
40 years later, he's still a man, as you're going to see in the exchange when we look at it. He's still a man who's been affected deeply by his life-altering failure. That failure sits with him. It's, you know, he had skills. I mentioned them. Now he had different kinds of skills, didn't he? After 40 years as a shepherd, spending a majority of his time alone in the sun and in the wind of the desert, his face was no longer what it used to be. He was a different man, more weathered, I suppose. We also know from the scriptures that he was still yet a man in his advanced years, a man of uncommon strength. That life, the pace of it evidently had been health-giving to him. We also know that he had acquired other kinds of skills. He knew how to obviously lead sheep. He would end up leading a nation through the wilderness. There's a lot in common. He knew how to use a staff. He didn't know how to do things he used to do in Egypt before, but he knew how to use a staff. A staff was like an extension of his arm. For a shepherd, it was like a third leg. It was like an extended of an arm. You used it. It was your life. He knew how to negotiate with chieftains and Bedouins. He knew how to read the lay of the land in a barren place. There were things he knew. What he didn't know was what he had left behind. And one thing is clear. He never really healed up from what had happened. He just sort of let it dissipate. And this reminded me of a couple of things. And I just want to lay them out there. And again, these are tools for us as we run into our own kinds of traumas or limitations. But let me suggest this. And I'm just going to put it up there. Great failures and rejections and traumas. And we may have them. I don't know if we have them. Maybe some of them experience them now. But great failures, rejections, traumas, and ex or extended painful seasons where things are really hard. They tend to alter who we are at a core level. This is what happens to Moses. I mean, for me, you know, I look at this and I go, wow. You know, and again, I, I had my own kind of version of, of a really difficult trial. I tra uh, you know, coming out of 215, I shared with you over the past weeks how hard a period of time that was for me, how much it really challenged me to think about what it meant, not just at a physical level, but, but at an emotional level as well, and just what it meant not to be in control of things and the effect that that had on me. It was a very difficult period in my life. I shared out of that. One of the things I, I noticed here is when we come into these places of great failure or great rejection, or when we are traumatized by something like Moses was, or we're in the middle of a painful season of life that is hard, one of the things that happens is we, they tend to do something to us. One of the things they do is they tend to humble us. They humble us. Sometimes they even shame us. They change the way we see ourselves. Our, our identity gets affected, doesn't it? Um, our self-confidence dips. I mean, okay, this is going to come out so clearly when we look at Moses. Because when God's interacting with Moses, as we're going to see, it, Moses is like, he's so defeated he, you can tell whatever was is so far back there. And again, ours may not be a 40-year span, but we might have a period in our life where we're having to work through the implications of something that has been so tough and so hard and so defining and so defeating that, honestly, it's hard for us even to begin to embrace the invitations of God. We're humbled. We feel humble. Moses was a brash, confident arrogant, borderline arrogant, self, self, you know, I won't call him self-absorbed. I don't know if that's accurate, but he was certainly self-assured. And why not? He was so much better than everybody else in so many ways. And yet this man at this point is a very different version of that man. Second thing about these trauma times is that they also tend to, to force us to think about things in a different way. They start to, they start to make us fear fearful, I think, and reluctant to move forward. 
And that's what, again, I mentioned that Moses is going to be challenged to, to embrace something, to re-embrace a dream, and he's going to be revealed as being so hesitant, so impacted by his failure that he, he just like stuck in fear. Like he sort of placed this on himself. That, that there, and there are certain things that happen to us in this life where they, they, do, they do almost sear us. They brand, it's like getting a tattoo on us, and it just is there. It's a reminder of something. Moses, has a, he's, he's been so impacted by that life-altering rejection, missing it, failure, life change, that he can't even really move forward. He's just sort of stuck in fear. And he's reluctant to take on any responsibility that would cause him to commit to anything because it didn't work out too well for me. And I'm a different person now. I just like doing what I do. Thirdly, though, here's the thing. What those things do for us is they create. This is, a, this is why... We, even though we don't want them, we shouldn't be afraid of these places because they created an openness, at least they, when, when we welcome the Lord in, they created an openness that wasn't there before that allows us to welcome the Lord in to do things that couldn't have happened before. It, to me, that's the opportunity in the adversity. That's where when God is welcomed in, he can bring good from the bad. He can take what was bitter and painful and what is, I mean, not good, and he can bring good from it. And a lot of times the good that he brings from it is the change that comes from within. That the way he's shaping us and molding us through it as we wrestle through what it is to trust him. And that leads to this second piece here, which is this, that God often uses then our failures, right? Our struggling wilderness times to grow us, right? He uses those times. That's when things are forced out of us. New ways of being emerge. And again, let's disregard Moses' 40-year timeline. And let's just say that for us, there'll be some situations where in life we're going to have, it's, it's a different timeline, but nonetheless, it's a wilderness time for us. And it's in these places where our character is getting changed. I look at that and I go, wow, Lord, he, he, the, the things that the Lord was doing in this man, his failure, his obscurity, these were the very things that God used to shape him. And zealous, confident Moses, he's history. He's been forced to yield because he now knows weakness and limitation. And that got me thinking. And the reason I originally went here, because I was thinking about my own trial when I was back in 2015 when I, when I shared it again, where I was really having a hard time trying to get my, I, I, the message actually was a product of it. I started studying Moses a little bit, looking at it in a different way, looking at it through the lens of limitation and feeling like you were failing. And I, I started thinking about it. And during that time, I kept reminding myself, one of the things I was learning was, you can't fight this trial the same way that you've done in the past. That like, was almost like the Lord was saying, you need to learn a new way. Because I wasn't strong enough by sheer grit, in my case, to just make it out of my predicament right away. The Lord knows I tried. I came to the conclusion that my old way of doing it, that's why I go back to the, to the battleship and the lighthouse. I go, you know, just try harder. Just go, you know, full speed ahead. You're going to break out of this thing. The more you just got to push even harder, that's how you solve your problems. You don't give up. But there are times where grit, that's what I was trying to get at. Like with Moses, grit is not enough. Grace is going to be required. It's not about how hard we try to make it happen. 
how many times I get up and train to get through that. If that thing is there and it's a limitation and God's saying there's another way to beat this thing, you're going to have to walk with me in it. And guess what? A lot of times it takes a time frame that is different than ours. Moses had a 40-year time frame. There will be times when the Lord is going to say to us, look, you want this thing solved. It's not going to happen that way. You're going to have to learn. We, and in my case, it was like, well, what am I going to do? Part of my new, if I can call it this shift, how do I align myself with grace when it's really hard and I want out of this thing? So I don't want to disappoint anybody or myself. I don't want to disappoint God, right? You've got to trust me. Maybe this will help some of us. One of the things I realized was that in times where it's hard, in wilderness seasons, you need to cultivate a proximity to his words. Let his words come near to you. Start writing them down. Pray, write the Psalms. Pray them. And then as we're doing that, zero in on a couple of key promises that you can basically adopt for the season that you're in. Pray and say, God, would you show me a word within your words that would allow for me to have strength that I can claim. Like, I can claim this promise as my own for this season. It's a way of positioning ourselves for something that may require a lot more patience with a process than a moment of deliverance. And that's, that's okay. And then a lot of times that's where exactly where God is basically, and, and then, then I find that there are times when we just start collecting prayers. I talked about being a prayer collector, right? Prayer collect. We collect all kinds of things. We're in this struggling season of the wilderness or hitting the wall or stuck or feeling very defeated. Collect your prayers. They're more than just good feelings. They shake things at foundational, spiritual, emotional levels when they're sent up in the right way. And then don't beat yourself up for the slowness of progress. A lot of times we start feeling very, we become our worst enemy. We start to tell ourselves how, how poor we are. And I'm not talking about just self-talk, you're a great guy. I'm not talking about that. What I'm saying is a lot of times we, become, we make things worse because we're clenching instead of surrendering. Clenching. Surrender. I'm a clencher, right? Harder the grip, the more the, you can do this. No, no. You're going to have to let go. You're going to have to trust me. Someone came up to me after service last night and said, I've got this situation going and we were talking and I said, I said, I said he goes, how am I going to do this? And then he's talking down the road. He goes, what happens when this happens down there? I said, you know what? I said, do you remember what we were talking about before? I'm just, I said, is it possible that the Lord is saying what he said to me when I was so badly trying to get out of this thing, accelerate the process, holding on so tight? Instead, of was like, Lord, so you need to be more patient with this, gentle, trust me, calm this thing down, surrender. Don't ask for the, this is the phrase, don't ask for the whole way. Ask for the next step. I got to know how it's going to work out. I got to know how it's going to get done. I got to figure it all out on the front end. I can see then I know where I'm going. Then I just have to press in and work hard. No. One step. Patient with the process. But I might mess up. That's okay. The Lord is with you. He loves you. He's on our side. That's what he gave himself for us. I know how so. Okay, last thing, we'll leave it here. God delights, I mean this, he delights in reawakening dreams, reigniting passions, and I love this last phrase, healing our souls. 
Ah, the Lord wants to heal our souls, to work with, work with us in the place of our greatest wounding. Where is it? Do I even know it? Where is it now? Where does the master healer want to work his, his healing touch? Where is that wounded place where this stuff is coming out of? What does he want to heal? What does it look like to gently get better? Sometimes it's wrestling to get better. Sometimes it's just being patient. And that's hard. That's a wrestling of its own type. Wrestle to be patient. Hurry up and wait on the Lord, as the scripture says. What? That's paradox. Yes. Which one is it? Yes. And I came across a great phrase, a great little quote, because you see, God likes to waken our dreams. One of the things we're going to see with Moses is he thought he was defined and done. And the Lord said, I'm the giver of new dreams. And I've got a new thing for you. He has new things for each of us. He has a seasonal assignment, ways for us to go. But here's what Howie Hendricks said, and I remember this phrase, and I said, I'm going to share it whenever I get a chance to. He said this. He said, most people, look at this, die at 25 and are buried at 80. Most people die at 25 and are buried at 80. They flatline. And I know this is not the Lord's will for us. He called us, again, maybe I can't see that far down the road, but I can, be, I, can be, I can learn to understand what his good will for me is in this season of my life. And I can love the people he's called me to love, and I can let him touch the things that are dying or dormant or half dead and bring them to life again. If I can work with his plans and welcome him into mine, and trust him in a humble way with them, there are amazing things that God can do, surprising things that God can do. Let us not die at 25 and then be buried at 80. No, God has more for us. He really... Oh, you know what the one final thing? You know what one of the cool things is? You know how old Moses was when he had that burning bush moment? 80. That's what it says. Who can say what God wants to do? All right. We're going to have a, a time of uh, giving for, and then our closing song. I want to close with the prayer. I'd like us to pray it together in spirit. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to pray it through, and then we'll move and shift out. Here it is on the, on the hand up there. Lord, and I'm going to pray this even now to you, Lord Jesus. I declare this. We declare this by faith. Lord of no limitations, would you help me with mine? I just want to plant that right there. Lord of no limitations, would you help me with mine? Would you be merciful? And I know that blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. Let me to offer that. Let me to receive it in your name, Lord. Would you be merciful? Would you help me when and where I need it most? I thank you. I truly do. I thank you for your faithfulness, because you are not only the giver of dreams, you are also the awakener of dreams. And there will be times when we hit a wall and no amount of effort will be enough to get through it. But in those places, teach me to trust you and help me not to be afraid or defeated by what has been taken, lost, or squandered. Help me to be patient until new possibilities emerge. This is what we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.